Good morning, Sovereign Grace. It's good to see all of you here this morning. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Jason, and it's my great privilege to serve as one of the pastors here. Having said that, turn those Bibles to Genesis 22, and this will serve as a bit of a bookmark, a bookend, a closure to our study through the summer. We're going to jump into studying some of the Psalms as we often do over the summer. Next week will be an exception to that because our brother from Scotland, Ian Hamilton, will be opening up the word. And so we don't know what he's going to preach. Maybe a psalm, who knows? But we're going to consecutively continue to go through the psalms. But we're going to look this morning at Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19, really the final recorded interaction between God and Abraham that we have recorded in sacred scripture. And it is quite a doozy. If you're familiar with the text, then you know what I'm talking about. So let me read these 19 verses, but before I do, I remind you as always, brothers and sisters, what we're about to hear read is the word of the living God. And so let us approach the text understanding that, let us tremble, and let us rejoice that our God has so kindly chosen to speak his word over us. After these things, God tested Abraham, and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, And took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come Again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him 
was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Sovereign grace, heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of our God will never pass away. So let's take a few brief moments to ask the Lord to hide his word deep in our hearts. Sovereign Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are your thoughts higher than our thoughts and your ways than our ways. And so we acknowledge together that we are incapable of understanding your word aright unless your spirit illumines your word to our hearts and to our minds. Therefore, we pray that you would use your word that goes out from your mouth so that it would not return to you empty, but that it may accomplish that which you purpose and may succeed in the thing for which you sent it. Do this in our midst now, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, one of the questions that has continually come up again and again, ever since we started looking at Genesis chapter 12, walking through God's covenant dealings with his servant Abraham, and it's a question that we ask oftentimes in our Christian life as well, so it's worthwhile meditating on it yet again, is how are we to persevere in the faith? How are we to know that God will keep his promises to us when our circumstances, those things around us or even our own weaknesses, seem to contradict those promises of God. And you can understand why we've had to ask that question again and again as we've looked at the life of Abraham. Because when God calls Abraham to himself back in Genesis chapter 12 and promises a son to him, He and Sarah are beyond the age of childbearing. And so their circumstances seem to contradict the promise of God. How are we to have a child? That's impossible at a human level. And yet, Lord, you've promised that you would. And now we come to an even more difficult question. How can we know that God will keep his promises when his very commands seem to contradict 
his promises. Because the command here is for Abraham to sacrifice the long-awaited son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. And so literally, the promise of God, if Abraham were to follow through with this, would seem to go up in smoke. And so, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves not in the same situation as Abraham, because we'll see that this is a a one-time unique test for him, But when we find ourselves with the challenge of our circumstances contradicting God's promise, or even in our puny little minds thinking, if I obey God's law, it somehow seems to cancel out the promise of God. How are we to know that God will keep his promise so that we can remain faithful? Well, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer to that question. And the answer to that question is in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Listen to what he says. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So do you see Paul's logic here? He says, listen, if God has kept his greatest of all promises, that he would give his son, then we can know that he will keep all of his lesser promises to us as well. And so if God has met our greatest need in his son, that is reconciliation with God when we were his enemies, peace with him through his son, then we can know that he will meet all of our lesser needs as well. And we're going to see that this is the very lesson that Abraham himself has learned. And so as we look at this final story, really, of God's covenant faithfulness in his dealings with Abraham that we have recorded in Scripture, I want us to look at these 19 verses under two headings. They'll serve as a guide for us. First of all, we're going to look at Abraham's obedience. Because on every verse in these 10 verses, it just smacks us in the face. And I want us to see that because this is the work of God in Abraham. God's gracious, sanctifying work in him. So we'll look first at Abraham's obedience in verses 1 through 10. And then second of all, we'll look at God's provision in verses 14 through 19. And what we're going to see, brothers and sisters, and this should just make our hearts leap for joy, is that God's provision is extravagant. It is abundant. It is more than sufficient. And so I pray that as we look at this text, whatever your struggle may be here this morning, that we would see so clearly the Lord's gracious provision for all of our needs in His Son, that we would be able to, like Christ and like Abraham in this text, be able to set our face like a flint and obediently walk in covenant faithfulness to the Lord no matter what he asks of us. So let's look first then at Abraham's obedience in verses 1 through 10. And we'll begin by lingering a bit over verse 1 because it really sets things up for us. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, this is important because we're given some context here. First of all, the narrator tells us, after these things. Okay, well, what are these things 
that this is now coming after? Well, primarily it's referencing back to Genesis 21, where finally the promised son, after Abram and Sarah wait for 25 years for this child to be born, he's finally born. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that Ishmael, Abraham's son through Hagar, has now been expelled from the family. He's on the outs. He's gone. And so now Abraham is left with his only son, Isaac. And so after that happens, after Isaac's born, after Ishmael's expelled, then the narrator tells us something that's very helpful for us to know. And I hope this allows you to be able to breathe a sigh of relief as we continue with the story. The narrator tells us God tested Abraham. So what that's telling us is, this is a test. This is only a test. And the reason that allows us to breathe a sigh of relief is, don't worry about Isaac, okay? Isaac's going to be all right. And the reason the narrator does that is so that we can focus on Abraham. So that with laser focus, we can see so clearly Abraham's obedience to God. And we actually see Abraham's obedience right in this beginning verse. Because God comes to Abraham and calls out his name. And what are the words out of Abraham's mouth? Here I am. And this tells us so much. These words are used again and again throughout scripture to convey the idea. I am your subservient. I belong to you. I am under your authority. And so whatever you ask of me, I am ready and willing to do. So from the very beginning... We see Abraham in a posture of obedience and ready to do whatever it is that the Lord commands. Having said that, I don't think he had any idea of the test that the Lord was going to ask him to pass. And we see that test in verse 2. So look there with me. He, that is God, said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there. As a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, can you imagine a more difficult test? Now, remember, you and I know because the narrator has helped us out, this is a test. Abraham doesn't know that this is a test. And so what is the Lord asking him to do? The Lord is asking him to take his son, his only son, whom he loves. Ishmael's gone. This is it. It's through Isaac. To take him, the one through whom all the promises are to be fulfilled. And this is not murder. The Lord's not telling Abraham, you're to murder your son. It's not what's going on here. He's saying, you are to process him and offer him on the altar as a burnt offering. Just like you would do with a lamb that I've commanded you to offer as a sacrifice to me. So think of the weightiness of this. Think of how difficult this would be. To process your son, your child, as a sacrificial lamb and then to be burnt up in its entirety. And by the way, I think this shows us this demand on Abraham to do this. It shows us the kind of life that is going to characterize his people, the Lord's people. His chosen people are going to be servants that give their whole selves, body and soul unto God. And so that reality is being communicated here. Now, before we go any further, I feel like I have to throw a really important caveat out there that I think every preacher when he's dealing with this text should throw out there. 
This is a once in the history of the world unique test that God is not going to ask you to perform. Okay, can I be more clear about that? God is not going to ask you to offer any of your children as a burnt offering, okay? Can we just get that? All right, great. That's clear. Now we can proceed. Why would this be so difficult for Abraham? Why would this be such a significant test? I think there's a lot of reasons we could give, but the two main ones, first of all, it's against nature to sacrifice your own children, to have to slaughter, is the word used here, your own child. So when you read about those stories in the news of a mother or a father who ends the life of their child, it horrifies you because it ought to horrify you because it's against nature. And so this would be so hard. He's breaking a familial tie with his son by doing this. And so it would be extremely difficult. But it would also be extremely difficult because this is not just Abraham's son. This is the one through whom, if he ceases to exist, the people of God will not exist. The history, the future of Israel hangs in the balance. And not just the history of Israel, not just the history of the people of God, but it's through Israel that the nations will be blessed. So the blessing to the whole world hangs in the balance here. And so we can imagine how difficult this would be. And yet the text is stone-cold silent about whatever internal struggles Abraham has. Not a whisper of any of this. Instead, what do we get? We just get verb after verb after verb of everything that he does necessary in order to obey God. He doesn't even flinch. He obeys God. And so we see his response to this test very clearly in verses 3 through 6. So look there with me. Look at how clearly Moses shows us Abraham's obedience. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. So do you see how readily Abraham just obeys? No hesitation, no hiccup. The gears are in motion, and nothing stops those gears from moving. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. Go through this three-day journey. Obedience, 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 obedience. Now, this is both, Abraham's obedience here, is both surprising on the one hand, and it's not surprising on the other hand, isn't it? On the one hand, Abraham's obedience here is surprising because what is Abraham's modus operandi? His modus operandi, when a difficult thing comes into his life, is he's pretty quick on his feet. He's a quick thinker. And so he'll come up with a solution so that he can manipulate circumstances so that things go his way. We've seen that all throughout his life. And he's also not afraid to negotiate with God. Just go back a couple chapters to chapter 18. Remember when God says, shall I keep my plans from Abraham I'm going to slaughter Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. 
And Abraham jumps to action and says, he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah and says, Lord, is that really just? On account of the sake of 50 righteous, will you spare the city? How about 45? How about 40? 30? 20? 10? Abraham's not afraid to negotiate with the Lord. So why doesn't he negotiate here when his own son is being demanded by God and his sacrifice? Why doesn't he barter with the Lord? So his obedience is surprising at that level. But on the other hand, his obedience is not surprising. It isn't surprising. Because doesn't this sound a whole lot like Genesis chapter 12? When the Lord first calls Abraham to himself, where's Abraham? He's in the land of Ur, worshiping pagan gods in his pagan country with his pagan family. He's not seeking God. God graciously goes and seeks him. And what God tells Abraham is, I want you to leave the land that you know, the family that you know, the culture that you know, all of that. And I'm calling you to a land that you've never been to, that you've never seen. And so Abraham completely abandons his past. And so in one sense, by God's grace, the grace of God empowers him to do that. It shouldn't surprise us that the grace of God is now empowering Abraham to, in a sense, abandon his future. Because all of Abraham's future is tied up in Isaac. And so to be willing to offer him up like a sacrifice like this shows us just the depth of his faith and his willingness to obey the Lord. Now, part of the reason why Abraham may not hesitate in offering Isaac is in part because in the ancient world, and Israel in particular knew that all of their lives were forfeit. The Israelites knew because of our fall in Adam and his guilt imputed to us, Every single human being who is now born, because of the justice of God for our sin, our lives are forfeit. And so that's why throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament, you see in Exodus 13 and Exodus 34 and Numbers 18, that the Israelites were commanded to offer a ram or a sacrificial lamb in place of their firstborn sons. And so as horrific as this command is, We're to understand it's also showing us our sinfulness as sons of Adam who are fallen. And so God's not asking Abraham to do anything here that's unjust. God is the one who gives life. He's our creator. He can take life. And as the just judge, death and suffering under his wrath forever is what our sins deserve. And yet, even in the face of all of this, Abraham's faith is rock solid. And I just want to highlight in verse 5 before we move on how clearly the text shows us this. Because in verse 5, if you'll look there again, you see that Abraham says to the young man, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So do you hear what Abraham's telling his young men, his servants? He's telling them. Now, they don't know what's about to happen, but Abraham does. And what he's saying is, listen, I'm so confident that the Lord will keep his promise. So confident, even if I obey his command to offer up my only beloved son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. That even after that, God will raise him from the dead in order to keep his promise. 
And you say, whoa, you're really reading into the text there, aren't you, Jason? Not at all, because we have the New Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 and 19, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so ultimately God, through the Apostle Paul, tells us what Abraham's thought process was here. So listen to what it is on divine authority. What was Abraham thinking when he said this in Genesis 22, verse 5? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now listen to this. He, that is Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, this is still the text, he did receive him back. So do you see how strong Abraham's faith is here? How swift and constant his obedience. He rises early in the morning, prepares everything, makes the three-day journey, and now he's beginning the ascent of Mount Moriah, all as God had instructed him. And yet now we hit a little snag here. At least as a reader, it's a snag for us. Because Isaac is doing the math. And he's looking at everything that they have, all the gear. And he goes, wait a minute, something's missing. So listen to his question in verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now listen, this isn't Isaac's first rodeo. He's seen his dad offer many sacrificial lambs. This is how we as God's people worship him. He's been ritualized in this. We could even say that Isaac was catechized in this. This is what God requires of us to worship him. And so Isaac's looking at their kit going, well, dad, we've got the fire and we've got the wood and we've got the knife, but blood has to be spilled. We've got to offer a lamb. So dad, where is it? Doesn't that just tug on your heartstrings? Now remember, this is a test. Don't worry about Isaac. And yet, listen to Abraham's response to Isaac's question in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now literally in the Hebrew, I love the way that this should be translated, it's a fine translation in the ESV, but literally in the Hebrew, it's the Lord will see to it, my son. The Lord himself will see to it that we have the sacrificial ram, lamb to offer. So don't you worry about that. Isn't that incredible? His faith, He doesn't know how this is going to work out, but he's trusting the promise of God. He's confident that he is going to see the provision of the Lord. He doesn't know exactly what that's going to look like. But Abraham says, that's not our concern, son. We are to look to the Lord in trust and in faith, knowing that he will provide, he will see to it. Isn't that staggering? And we see that obedience continue then in verses 9 and 10. Look there with me. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there 
and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Again, isn't this incredible? I mean, at one level, obviously, it's horrific. But at the level at which God is commanding Abraham to do this, Abraham's obedience is staggering. Because he's willing to completely give back to God that which God has freely given to him. Abraham didn't earn the right to be entering into a covenant relationship with God. He didn't earn or merit God's promise to him that he would have a son. This is all God's grace. And yet how difficult to surrender his beloved son through whom all the promises would come. And yet God sustains Abraham so that he gives his son. He's willing to do that. And brothers and sisters, I think it's significant that this is the last recorded interaction we have between God and Abraham because don't we see how much Abraham has grown in his faith? Abraham who struggled so much to obey the Lord. Now we see like the pinnacle of his faith that he's willing to see the one through whom the promises would all be fulfilled up in smoke. And here's what we can't miss. Even Abraham's obedience is God's provision. By God's grace, he called Abraham and Abraham obeyed. By God's grace, Abraham has been sustained in his faith through all of his ups and downs. And by God's grace, his faith is now this strong in this instance to be able to be willing to give up his own son. And that is all the work of the Lord. It's the Lord's amazing grace, which makes us think of that wonderful hymn, doesn't it? Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. That's Abraham's testimony. And brothers and sisters, that's our testimony as well. So here's the question. Do we understand that? Do we understand that God is at work doing, sanctifying us? by His Word, by His Spirit, conforming us to the image of His Son so that we look more and more human, live the way that He created us to live, fearing Him, communing with Him, loving Him, loving His people? Do we understand that that's what He's doing in us? And here's the thing. It's oftentimes hard to see how you're growing spiritually, isn't it? Well, I, you know, I, I read my Bible and I go to church and I'm fellowshipping with others and I enjoy my communion and fellowship with the Lord, but like, how do I know that I'm growing? Well, see, brothers and sisters, the Lord graciously provides tests for us as well. Because you see, it's in those tests that our character, for good or for ill, whether we obey or whether we disobey, is revealed. We're fond of saying, Tests and trials and sufferings, they don't create character necessarily or primarily, certainly not necessarily, but they certainly do reveal character, don't they? Whether that character is good or whether that character is bad. And here we see the test showing how much Abraham 
has grown in character. And brothers and sisters, you're to understand the tests and the trials and the temptations and the sufferings in your life are intended by the Lord to show you how you have grown and how your faith is true saving faith that then issues forth in obedience to God and in good works. How do we know that? 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 6 and 7 is very clear. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying? It shows by the good works that precede your obedience through tests that your faith is actually genuine. And he says, you can't put a price tag on that. Nothing is more precious than that. To know that your faith is genuine. That you truly do have communion and fellowship with God. And so he brings the tests into our lives to show us this. God knew exactly where Abraham was. He brings this test To show Abraham where he was. Now, here's the pastoral question that follows. All right, well, what about when I bungle the test? What about when I fail? What about when I disobey? What about when I sin? Because we just have to look at Abraham's life to know it's not just a life of constant obedience, passing every test. And I know you can look at your life or my life and see the exact same thing. But see, brothers and sisters, we even prayed this in the corporate confession this morning. Remove our guilt and work in us true repentance so that we might mortify all sin within us and produce the fruits of righteousness through Jesus our Lord. You see, when the Lord shows us, when we fail the tests, the bad character that still remains in us, He then grants to us repentance and faith to turn away from that and grow. So even when you fail the test, which we don't want to fail the tests, we love the Lord. We want to walk in obedience. But when you fail the test, understand the Lord is using that to sanctify you as well to the end that you might be more obedient and in a deeper relationship with him. And so we understand that this is what the Lord is up to. Now last, I know this is a long point and the second point's not going to be as long. But we fall short if we just look at Abraham's obedience and then immediately come to our obedience. Because where Abraham's obedience should drive us to is the fact that Jesus came and was perfectly obedient. You see, Abraham here, in passing this unique test, this once in a history of the world test given to Abraham, in passing it, he's pointing us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ who will perfectly pass every test that the Father brings his way. Whether it be before his public ministry or when he's out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan or whether he's in Gethsemane or on the cross itself, he passes every test. He fulfills the Father's will in everything that he does. And see, he has to come and do that because Adam failed that test in the garden. And Israel failed that test in the wilderness and again and again. And Abraham didn't perfectly pass every test in his life. And so by passing this one, he's pointing us towards the one 
who will pass every test the Father gives him. He fulfills all righteousness, and he does that so then that righteousness can be counted as yours and mine. And that's how the Father treats us, as if we have that perfect track record. So do you see how the obedience of Abraham points us forward to the coming Messiah and his active obedience? Now, secondly... We're not just going to look at Abraham's obedience here. Now we're being driven to God's provision. Secondly, and as we look at God's provision here, we're going to look at the passive obedience of Christ. The active obedience of Christ, how he fulfilled all righteousness for us, that might be counted as ours, and his passive obedience in all that he suffered for us and for our salvation. And so let's look at God's provision here, beginning in verse 11. And again, this point will go faster. In verse 11 we read, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now this should just stun us again. And frankly, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know whether to put this under Abraham's obedience or God's provision because you see both here. I put it under God's provision because the angel is provided to stop Abraham from sacrificing his son. But it also shows us Abraham's obedience, the previous point, because look, he's about to slaughter his son as a burnt offering, and what comes out of Abraham's mouth? Here I am. I don't know about you, but I'd be really flustered if I was about to offer my firstborn son as a burnt offering. And what's Abraham's response? Lord, what would you have me do now? Your humble servant, how can I obey you? How can I serve you? And we're not to think he's doing this like a robot, although maybe I just made it sound like he was a robot. It's that he's ready and willing to do what the Lord asks. And so it's absolutely stunning. And we can all rejoice here. The angel stops him. The angel stops him in verse 12. So look there with me. He, that is the angel, said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham passed the test. Abraham was willing. The knife was in his hand. Isaac was on the altar, probably thinking the horrific thought, where do I even start? And yet the angel comes and says, stop. Now I know that you're willing to give completely back to me as a burnt offering that which I have given to you. He's not holding anything back. And then something glorious happens. Abraham sees the Lord's provision. Look there in verse 13 with me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Isn't that glorious? Remember what Abraham said to Isaac back in verse 8? The Lord will see to it, son. We don't have to worry about that. We're doing what he's commanded us to do. And now Abraham sees that the Lord saw to it. He sees the provision of the Lord in this ram so that his son is now spared even though he was willing to offer his son. And you see, brothers and sisters, we fall short of understanding the text rightly 
If we think that Abraham only saw the provision of the Lord in the ram that was provided in verse 13. Because you see, this is pointing us forward to the Lord's greater provision in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now make no mistake, these were not just empty signs and seals, if you will, offering the sacrifices. They actually received by faith all that Jesus would accomplish when He would come, even though Jesus hadn't come yet. Otherwise, there's another way of salvation. But this is pointing us to the reality of God's greater provision in His Son who would come and die. And this is just shot through Israel's culture and shot through their history. That the Israelites were to think, God spares us for the sake of a sacrificial lamb. And so this is the first place that you see that. Another place that you see that is where? Exodus 12 at the Passover. The final plague, the angel of the Lord is going to come amongst all the people in Egypt and kill all the firstborn unless, as God commands, you slaughter a sacrificial lamb, put its blood on the doorposts, and then eat the lamb, and then I will pass over. And so what are the Israelites thinking? We are spared for the sake of the Lord's provision, a sacrificial lamb. And then we already talked about how after that in Exodus 13, you are to redeem your firstborn sons, showing our universal sin in our federal head, Adam. You are to offer, in place of your sons, a sacrificial lamb. And then when Israel gets a tabernacle and a temple, what are they to offer in the morning and in the evening? As atonement for their sins, so that God doesn't wipe them off the face of the planet for their sin. God spares us for the sake of a sacrificial lamb. And so all of this is in the collective Israelite mind when the Father in love sends the Son of God to take on flesh, assume a human nature, body and soul, and when he begins his public ministry, John the Baptist sees him and says what? Behold, the Lamb of God, John one twenty nine, who takes away the sins of the world. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter one. 18 and 19, you know you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. But you see, here's the difference. Abraham was willing to give his beloved son, but he didn't have to. He was spared. He was able to withhold his son because God provided a ram. But you see, our heavenly father gave his only begotten beloved son in whom he is well pleased, and he was not spared. He paid the penalty for all the elect. Indeed, the only reason Abraham and Isaac are not on the hook and suffer the wrath of God is because of the meritorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ, credited to them, although he hadn't even come yet. But you see, we're forgiven And we're declared righteous, brothers and sisters, because for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave, did not withhold, but gave his only begotten son. Now you may say, man, that seems like quite a stretch, Jason. That's what Abraham saw in the provision of the Lord's, of this ram that the Lord gave? If you want to see it even more clearly, look at verse 14, because we see this even more clearly, that 
Abraham is forward-looking, future-looking to the Lord's provision of a sacrificial lamb. Verse 14 reads, So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So what Abraham is saying, do you see how future-oriented it is? The Lord will provide. It shall be provided. It's forward-looking. And I think in part, this is what Jesus means when he says, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. Because it was provided on the mount of the Lord. Because you know where Mount Moriah is? Mount Moriah, we know this from 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, is where the Lord told Solomon to build the temple. It's where we see earlier in 1 Chronicles 1 that the Lord commands David to set up an altar and offer sacrifices. And the Lord says, this will be the altar for Israel. And so it's Jerusalem generally. And we know that Jesus was crucified outside of the city on Golgotha. And this is that general area. And so the Lord did provide a sacrificial lamb for all the sins of the elect, all those whom the Father gave to the Son. The Lord has provided, brothers and sisters, forgiveness for your sins and mine, that we might be spared. And he sent him to do that because he loves us. Now, we could end the sermon there and it'd be like, man, there's enough richness right there. But that's not where the text ends. The Lord's provision is so extravagant so abundant, so gracious, that it bleeds over into verses 15 and 19. Because now all the promises that God has already said to Abraham are reiterated again. So let's look there. Verses 15 through 19. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So do you see the grace of God here? Remember, it's the grace of God that called Abraham. The grace of God that keeps Abraham. The grace of God that works this kind of faith in Abraham. That he's willing to obey in offering his only beloved son, Isaac. And then the Lord, to crown his gracious work in Abraham, says, I'm going to keep all of these promises to you. Now, has Abraham kept this covenant perfectly? No. But you see, the Lord is able to forgive those sins as well. Why? Because it's a gracious covenant. And the Lord interacts with Abraham in these regards based on all that Christ would do and accomplish even though he hasn't come yet. And so we see the grace of the Lord that he's rewarding Abraham for his obedience, that God worked in him. And then this also points us to Jesus because we know that all of these promises, every single one of them in verses 15 through 19, find their fulfillment, their yes and their amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't they, brothers and sisters? And so we can just go through the list. 
in verse 17, where his offspring will be as many as the stars of the heaven or the sand of the seashores. That's how many elect have been given by the Father to the Son. And Jesus has accomplished their salvation in his life and his death. And Jesus has conquered all of our enemies, verse 17. We're told the offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. Jesus has conquered the flesh and the world and the devil. And so Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because of Jesus. And indeed in Jesus all the nations of the earth are blessed because there are elect from every tongue and tribe and nation and the Lord has left us with the task of taking the gospel to them that they might be brought in that not one that Jesus has spilled his blood for would be lost and he uses his church as the means to take that good news to the ends of the earth do you see the abundant provision of the Lord Brothers and sisters, it's breathtaking. The Lord's provision in Abraham's obedience. The Lord's provision in sparing us as his people. Because he's given his son in our place. Though we deserve his wrath for our sins. And so it brings us back to the question that we opened with. I don't know what promises of God you're struggling to believe right now. I don't know what commands of the Lord you're looking at and saying, if I obey that, it seems to nullify some of the other promises that God makes to me. I don't know how your life circumstances seem to contradict the promises of God. But here's what I know. And here's what you know. We can trust the Lord. Again, let's go back to Paul's logic. If he's kept the greatest of all promises in providing his son, How will he not also with him give us all good things? If he's met that greatest of all needs, he'll meet all of your lesser needs. All of those other things will be added to you. Don't fret. Don't let them get in the way of you and walking obedient before the Lord. And know that he will sanctify us and cause us to grow in obedience. Do you see the abundant provision of the Lord? Know that no matter what your struggle, he will see to it. He gave his son. He'll give us all we need as well. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we're humbled before your abundant provision. And we know there's so much more still to say. And yet we rejoice that you graciously call us as you called Abraham to yourself. You graciously keep us. You graciously sanctify us. You graciously provided your son that we might be spared. And we pray that we would trust you in all things. Knowing even when we can't see it, that's fine. We don't have to see it. You will see to it. We are but to walk with you in covenant faithfulness as you empower us. And to do what you've called us to do. And you will see to it. We pray as your people that that would mark our lives. And as a result, our mouths would constantly be open sharing the gospel with unbelievers around us. Because you gave Isaac and you've called us to yourself, Lord, that we might be a blessing to the nations. And so may we take this good news to them. And may you save all those whom you've given to your son. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.